Good morning. We are so glad you're here today. Thank you. We hope that our time together is beneficial to you. We are grateful to have visitors with us today. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. Thank you for gracing us with your presence today. And we hope to see you back here in the near future. If you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We would love to have you come and be a part of our church family. We're going to be talking today primarily about the theme, living to please God. Living to please God. Before I begin today, I do want to say thank you to all of you that donated to those who were victims of the tornado last week. Appreciate, we appreciate greatly the generosity of so many of you, and we're thankful for your willingness to open your pocketbook and help those who are in need. It was a great opportunity for us to share what we have with others. We appreciate Brother Dave taking a truck, spending the day on the road, and he said it looked like a war zone in Mayfield, Kentucky. And so we're blessed to be able to help them, and we hope and pray that our benevolent endeavors will lead to people coming to know something about Christ and obeying His will. So thank you to Dave and thank you to each of you that contributed. We're talking today about living to please the Father. There's an interesting character in the Old Testament that we read about. Not much information is given about his life. His name was, of course, found in Genesis chapter 5. A man by the name of Enoch. And the text tells us in chapter 5 that this man walked with God. When you come to the New Testament and look at Hebrews chapter 11, you read about a lot of great people that lived by faith. Matter of fact, their lives were conducted by faith and obedience to the will of God. And in chapter 11, we read something about Enoch. There is what we might call a commentary, a very abbreviated commentary about his life. You remember that Enoch was translated, never saw death, as was Elijah, the great prophet of Almighty God. The Hebrew writer said that before his translation, he had this testimony. Now listen to what is said about him, that he pleased God. Could I ask you today, is your life being lived to please the Father, to please God? The passage read a moment ago in John chapter 8 to me is one of the most intriguing verses in all the New Testament. Because in that context, Jesus said, I always do those things that please Him, that is, that please God the Father. So our goal in life ought to be to try to live in such a way so that we please the Father, so that we please God. I want to begin our study today by first of all talking about our great example. That would be Christ. And as you look at the life of Christ, I think about first and foremost His confirmation as the Son, and then secondly His consecration as the Son. Now if you and I were to go back, for example, to Matthew chapter 3, you remember Matthew introduces us to the work of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Christ. He was, as the Apostle John said, a man sent from God. 
His purpose was to bear witness of the light. And John said he wasn't the light, but rather came to bear witness of that light, that being Jesus, the light of the world. And so John the Baptist came to point people in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew tells us that his message was one of repentance. And the reason being, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the latter part of that chapter, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to meet with John at the River Jordan. And the reason for him coming to the River Jordan was to be baptized by John. And the text tells us that when Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness, a voice came forth from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. That was God the Father. And God said, In whom I am well pleased. You remember also in Matthew chapter 17, another great passage of Scripture that relates to Christ. And in this particular passage, the Bible tells us that Jesus went up into the mountain. And He took with Him Peter, James, and John. And while they were on the mountaintop, Moses and Elijah appeared. And they were talking with the Lord. Peter, as often was the case, spoke up and said, Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And you remember, a voice came forth from heaven, and God said about Jesus, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then He tagged it with this, Hear Him. Moses, of course, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, one of the greatest, most highly esteemed individuals in the history of the Jewish nation. Elijah, a renowned prophet, a man of tremendous courage and conviction. And yet, God the Father said concerning the Son that I'm pleased with Him and I want you to listen to what He has to say. And it was Jesus who would later say in Matthew chapter 28, All authority, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus confirmed by Almighty God that He was the Son of God and that He pleased the Father. Well, what about the life of Jesus? To me, Jesus lived a consecrated life. The whole purpose of His earthly endeavors was to please the Father, wasn't it? I mean, if we were to go all the way back to Psalm 40, which is a messianic psalm. The psalmist there said concerning the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, that it was written in the volume of the scroll or book that the Messiah was coming to do the will of God. So when you pick up the New Testament and you listen to Jesus as He discusses His purpose, His intentions on planet Earth, that was to live to please the Father, to do His will. When Jesus stood in the shadow of the cross, you remember in John chapter 17, Jesus said that they might know you. This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. What was the work of Jesus? Well, it was the redemptive plan. God's plan that had been in place prior to the foundation of the world, before mankind was ever created. God had this amazing plan in place so that when mankind fell, 
as was recorded by Moses in the Garden of Eden, God could immediately put that plan into action. So Jesus came to do the will of God. And so in John chapter 8, in verse 29, we hear Jesus saying, I always do those things that please Him, that is, please the Father. So again, let me just ask this question. Are you, individually speaking, living to please the Father? That ought to be our desire in life, to live in such a way so that God is pleased with us. Now, you know, it's hard to please people. And there are a lot of people in the world today who have a spouse that they have difficulty pleasing or satisfying. They're always upset about something. There are times in life when people are in the workplace and they can never quite do enough to please their employer. They always come up a little bit short. Well, the beautiful thing about serving the Lord is we can live and we can please Him. You might not be able to please your fellow man, but you can please the Lord. So there's an encouragement in Scripture for those of us who belong to the body of Christ to live to please the Father. So let's just think for a moment or two about the guide to pleasing the Father. How can we how can we learn how to please the Father? Well, let me just give you a couple of examples. Number one, the Savior. I mentioned just a moment ago, Jesus setting an example of pleasing the Father. You remember the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2? Peter would say that Christ left us an example that we should follow in His steps. In other words, we're to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, aren't we? If we're living a Christ-like life, if everything about our life, about our life, is about pleasing the Father, then we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus, aren't we? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul makes what I believe to be an amazing statement to the church at Corinth. Now, remember, Paul spent 18 months in the city of Corinth preaching the Word of God, and Luke says in Acts chapter 18, verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Bear in mind that these, these people had in many ways lived a life foreign to Almighty God. Their lives were steeped in idolatry and immorality. And yet when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said that they had been sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Something changed in their life. That something was they became children of God. And so through their obedience to the gospel, they enjoyed a new life in Christ. And Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So these folks were living, or were supposed to be living, a Christ-like life. So in chapter 11, verse 1, here's what Paul said. Be imitators or followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. I think what Paul is saying there is that I want you to model my behavior, my life. I want you to live as I have lived, insofar as my life harmonizes with the life of Jesus. 
And so what that says is that we're to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to God and that we're walking in the footsteps of the Lord, aren't we? I mean, that's the goal. That's the intent. And Paul was pointing people in the direction of Christ. His life was governed by Almighty God. And so he was trying to the best of his ability to walk in such a way so that he might bring glory to God and that others might follow in his footsteps. So what about our goal? Don't you think it would only stand to reason that we would have the goal? That our goal in life would be to live in such a way so that we please the Father as Jesus did. Let me just talk about some areas of life that I think have a lot to say about our life, about our goal in this life. Number one, when we talk about living to please the Father, it begins first and foremost with our will, doesn't it? That is, the inward man. Now you remember Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 17, if any man, listen to him, wills to do his will, he will know the, know the doctrine. Whether I speak of myself or if what he had to say came forth from the Father. So the human will must be invoked in order to please God. Now go all the way back to Matthew chapter 16, the teaching of Jesus. And you remember Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When you look at the life of Jesus, here was a life that was lived in a very selfless way. Jesus came to serve. His goal was to do the will of Almighty God. And so in order for us to live the Christian life, one of the prerequisites is that we subjugate our will to the will of Almighty God. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easy to give lip service to living in compliance to the will of God and to subject or subjugate our will to His will, but that's what's required, isn't it? Didn't Jesus say, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The Lord said on one occasion, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? So I've got to have the mindset. My mind has to be right. I've got to be focused on subjugating my life to the life of God, or rather to the life of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 at verse 5. Paul said, have this mind in you. Have you developed the mind of Christ? Have you developed the will of Christ? And His will was to do the Father's will. That ought to be our will. That ought to be paramount in our lives. Everything that we do, everything that we say, ought to harmonize with doing God's will in this life. So number one, it requires our will. And sometimes what happens in life is we put our interest and our will, our desires, ahead of God's. So number one, our will. Number two, our walk. John in 1 John chapter 1 talks about how important it is for us to walk in the light. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 10, Paul, in writing to the church in Colossae, 
said that they were to have a walk, that they were to have a walk worthy of the Lord. And then he said, fully pleasing Him. What about your walk in life? What about how you carry yourself from day to day? When people see you living in the world, when they see you going about your daily activities, whether it's on the job, at school, in the neighborhood, when people see you, do they see somebody that Christ is living in and that Christ is working through? Again, our walk says something about us. And I think about the words of Jesus. I think about how everything, everything in the Christian life is about striving to the best of our ability to live so that people can say, you know what, he or she belongs to the Lord. So, living to please the Father. Let me just talk about our ways for a moment. I think about our will, our walk, but our ways. How devoted are you to the Lord? How much time do you spend in His Word? You know, the psalmist of old meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night. Our devotion to God ought to be reflected in how much time we spend in this book, how much time we spend in prayer to the Father. Didn't Jesus say on one occasion that men ought to always pray and not grow weary? How are we going to grow closer to God if we never study His Word? When you think about pleasing the Father and knowing how to live and how to interact in society. How are we going to know how to do that if we divorce ourselves from the Word of God? We can't do it, can we? How are we going to function in this world day in and day out and overcome the struggles and strains and trials and tribulations and temptations of life if we don't spend time on our knees praying to the Father? Now you look at the life of Jesus. And you remember in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted by the devil... Three times he responded to the overtures of the devil, didn't he? Each and every time his response was, it is written. Now the Bible says that we are to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Jesus was successful. And, don't, and listen, don't make the mistake of thinking that the devil is not concerned about how you're living as a child of God. That the devil is not intent on destroying your faith, leading you astray. The fact of the matter is the devil walks about as a roaring lion doing everything within his power to destroy your faith in Almighty God, to circumvent your will and your walk in Christ. And so to understand that we've got to spend time in God's Word and grow closer in devotion to the Lord through prayer. When you look at the life of Jesus, one of the things that stands out is the fact that he spent a lot of time on his knees to the Father, didn't he? Now, if Jesus is our great example, and he lived to please the Father, 
Wouldn't it stand to reason that, number one, we spend time in His Word? Number two, that we spend time in prayer to the Father? Praying regularly? You think about some of the difficult things that you face in this life day in and day out. Some of your struggles and strains and your weaknesses. You have the awesome opportunity to bow in the presence of God, to ask for His help, and guidance in life. In other words, you're putting your trust in God, you're relying on His Word, and you're living so that your life might be pleasing to the Father in every way. So when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he talked about how they were to have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. That ought to be our goal. And he said, being fruitful unto every good work, and listen to this, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Over this past year, how much have you grown as a Christian? Have you grown? Can you see measurable growth in your spiritual life? I would hope and pray you can. Do you know more today than you knew this time last year? When you open the Word of God, have there been times over the past year that you've said, you know what, I never saw that before. Never thought about that. Listen, that won't happen if you don't spend time in this book. But you have the opportunity to grow in grace and knowledge, as Peter talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3. And so to spend time in the Word of God. Why? Because my life is locked in on pleasing God. And the only way that I'm going to know how to please God is to follow His Word. Jesus being the great example, I've got the Savior to look to, I've got the Scriptures to follow. And listen, if I'm looking to Jesus and I'm looking to His Word, I can just mark it down, my life's going to be pleasing to the Father, isn't it? So, when it comes to your life, when you begin introspectively evaluating your life, Are you stronger today than you were this time last year? Have you spent more time reading and studying the Word of God over the past year? Or has your faith in God slipped? Are you not as strong as you were last year? Are you not as devoted as you ought to be to the will of God? Those are pertinent questions. Questions that we all have to answer. So again, When you look at the life of a Christian, it ought to be different. I mean, we need to understand, number one, who we are, and number two, whose we are. Now, there's another thought, and that is, what about our work for the Lord? Now, Paul said in Colossians chapter 1 that we're to please the Lord and that we are to have a walk worthy of the Lord, as I mentioned a moment ago. Bearing fruit unto every good work. There are three realms of activity in the church. Everything ultimately ties back to evangelism, doesn't it? You remember, for example, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The goal is to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ. That's not just the preacher's responsibility or the elder's responsibility or the deacon's responsibility. It's everyone. 
who is a member of the body of Christ, everyone has the responsibility of reaching out to a lost and dying world. So when we engage in works of edification, the building up of the body of Christ through teaching and encouraging, as Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things. Well, edification ties back to evangelism and then benevolence. Our benevolent activities, I mentioned a moment ago the work that we were involved in over the past week, trying to collect materials and goods and money to help those that were hit by that terrible tornado. Well, the hope, the intent is that through those benevolent works, people will see something about us as members of the body of Christ and be drawn to the Lord. It might open the door for Bible study with people. So, personal evangelism. Have you taught anyone the gospel over the past year? Encouraged anybody to come to services? Have you reached out to anyone who's not what they ought to be in terms of their relationship to Christ? They're not faithful to the Lord. Have you reached out to anyone and said, you know what, we miss you. You need to put the Lord first in your life. Anybody, anybody not doing that? If we're not trying to reach others with the gospel of Christ, do you really think we're pleasing the Father? Do you think God's pleased when we look around in the world and we see people who are lost and dying in sin and we say nothing? Look at the life of Jesus. Everything about Jesus was about pointing people to His spiritual kingdom. Pointing people to spiritual life. I mean, you go back to John chapter 4. Here's Jesus at Jacob's well talking to a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were viewed negatively by the Jews of their day, and yet Jesus, spending time with this lady, matter of fact, made a radical difference in, his, in her life. In John chapter 8, when we read about that woman taken in adultery, again, Jesus made an impact on her life, didn't He? In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus is in the home of Matthew, and the religious leaders chided His disciples, they want to know, why does your master, why does your teacher eat with tax, collector, tax collectors and sinners? Well, because Jesus came to give people something better. That is, He came to give them eternal life. Read Ezekiel chapter 33. In Ezekiel chapter 33, God said to the prophet in the long ago that he was a watchman on the wall. And the point that he was making is, to Ezekiel, you have the responsibility to warn the children of Israel on my behalf. He said, if you do your job and the people don't listen, he said, guess what, that's on them. But on the other hand, if you see them living lives that are disobedient to my will, and you say nothing, he said, guess what? The blood's on your hands. In Acts chapter 20, here's what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders. I am free from the blood of all men. One day we're going to stand in the judgment. 
as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, is it possible that people will point in our direction and say, you know what, you were a New Testament Christian. You knew something about the Lord. You knew something about how to become a child of God. You never said a word to me. Not one word. So what about you? Who have you tried to impact for the cause of Christ over the past year? And then we talk about edification, teaching. There are opportunities to teach in this congregation. I'm grateful to those of you that sacrifice your time to teach others. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and I'm grateful that you're willing to do that. What are you doing by way of edification in the church? What are you doing to help inspire others to be more faithful, to grow in their relationship to God? One of the things about Ray Maples that stood out in my life, he was always interested in people growing in their knowledge, learning more about Christ. Ray was an exceptional individual. Who's like that today? Who has stepped up to the plate since Ray's gone and making a difference in the knowledge of others? So, Evangelism, benevolence, edification, by way of benevolence. What have you done to help others over the course of the last year? Have you prepared a meal? Did you take part in what went on last week with regard to the victims of the tornado? Did you give money, supplies? Have you helped someone in need over the past year? You know, Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Have you done that? Remember in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, you know what, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. He said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger, you took me in. Sick and in prison and you visited me. Would that be said of you? If you were to stand before God today, could God say, you know what, you were working in my behalf. Paul in Hebrews chapter 13, if Paul happened to write that epistle, he said, do not forget, listen to him, to do good and to share. That word share there in the original means fellowship. And the idea is that we're willing to help others. Read Acts chapter 2 and look at the benevolent actions of the early church. Then what about our worship to God? How important is worship to you? You know, I understand that there are a lot of folks that have health issues and they're unable to come to worship unable to come to Bible study, and we get that. We understand that. The Lord understands that. We have four opportunities, well, really five per week, to meet. Sunday morning Bible class, worship, Sunday evening worship, Tuesday morning class, Wednesday evening class. Those are opportunities each and every week. Over the course of the last year, 
How faithful have you been in your worship to God? Have you been here every time the doors open? Let me ask this question. If Jesus were on earth today, at 9 o'clock in the morning in Olive Branch, Mississippi, where would He be? What about 10 o'clock? Think He'd come back for the evening service? You think He'd be here on Wednesday night? You think Paul would? You think Peter would? Our attendance is a reflection of our devotion to the Lord, or lack thereof. Now look, you cut it any way you want to cut it. But the bottom line is, when people come to worship God and study His Word, you know why they do that? Because they want to do it. And nothing stands in their way. You know, I've tried to encourage people for years to be faithful in worship and Bible study. And I always hear the arguments, well, do I have to go? And the Lord didn't say anything about Wednesday night and Sunday night and all that. And I, you know, look. There have been times when I've said, no need to say anything because people have already made up their mind. But it might be the case that in saying something, that light will come on and somebody will say, you know what, I do need to be there. It's not a matter of, do I have to be here? It ought to be, I want to be here. Nothing's going to prevent me short of being sick or working or whatever. So what about you? Let me just, very quickly, I know our time's gone. If we were to just make check marks by our will, by how we conduct ourselves in life, by our work, our worship, etc. Those various areas in life. If the Lord were to evaluate you, would He be pleasing? Would He be pleased with you? I can't answer that for you. That's up to you. But I know this, Jesus said, I always do those things that please Him. That ought to be my goal in life. I ought to live so that I please God. Look, I understand I'm not a perfect person. I don't know anybody perfect other than the Lord. But I know that I can live in such a way that I do please Him. So today, if you're here and your life is not pleasing to the Father, could I encourage you to make whatever changes are necessary in your life so that you, like Jesus, can say, I always do those things that please Him. Always. That's my goal in life. So, if you haven't become a Christian, it begins with your mind, your will. You've got to decide, I'm going to become a child of God, and once I become a child of God, my life's going to be radically different. I'm willing to deny self, take up the cross, and follow Him each and every day. What would you need to do? Well, you need to repent of your sins, turn from a life of sin, confess His name, be baptized into Christ. The Lord will then add you to the church. And the Bible says, the saved are in the church. 
If perchance you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be, you just don't measure up, I want to encourage you, make the necessary changes. You know, not every change is visible in nature. But I want to challenge you. Whatever shortcomings might be in your life, repent of those things and strive to the best of your ability to do what's right. Be faithful unto death. And the Lord will bestow on you a crown of life. We could pray with you. We'd be happy to do that today. Won't you come and come as we stand?